I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. summers and into January, I've been visiting morgues and monasteries, looking for the necessary body parts, limbs and livers and brains and hearts. I want to bring someone to life is what I want to do. I want to create my own version of you. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining us this week to talk about my own version of you from 2020's Rough and Rowdy Ways is musician Jude Valentine. Hi, Jude. Hi. Great to have you here on the show. That's fantastic to be here. I'm very excited. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of this show. Thank you very much. So uh, before we even talk about any sort of related to Bob Dylan stuff, let's talk a little bit about, about your work as a musician. Um, what kind mm-hmm. of, what, for people who don't know, what kind of music do you do? Um, I really don't know what to call it. It's um, <laughs> rock, rock and roll, maybe, maybe a little bit of blues. I just, anything that, uh, that uh, I love, I just tend to go headlong into it. And, uh, it's mostly about music and writing for me, like the, the words. So I, I don't know how to describe it, but. <laughs> how long have you rock been? It's rock and roll, man. Right, fair enough, fair enough. How long have you been, how long, when did you get started? I'm guessing as a, as a kid, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I played guitar about 13. Like, right before I discovered Bob Dylan, I started playing guitar. And um, I started performing about 18. And, um, yeah, it's wow. just, it's, I can't help but do, you know. It's just, uh, when the muse bites you, you got to do it. <laughs> absolutely. Well, all right, that's a perfect segue to what we're going to talk about. How did you become a, a fan of Bob Dylan? Um, it was about 2004, I think. Uh, PBS was airing No Direction Home. Mm-hmm. And it was about two in the morning and I was on summer vacation. And I remember I knew I knew of Dylan. I hadn't listened to his music, though. I love Johnny Cash and uh, Woody Guthrie, actually. And uh, yeah, I just started watching it and I just became entranced. And like, I don't know, it was, it was like a spiritual experience almost like I was like my DNA changed in that moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I wanted to be like a little rambler kid. And uh, I remember I put on a suit and I remember sneaking out of the house before my dad woke up. It was about five in the morning. We were going to work at the mines. And I was like, I'm going to hop a train. I'm getting out of this town. You know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, and I lived in this little mining town, just like Bob Dylan. And uh, yeah, I felt this great relation. So I jump on this train and uh, it goes just like pretty slow through town. And uh, yeah, I get on the train and then it takes me right to the mine where my dad works. So it's just like, well, that didn't work out. So it was a failed <laughs> jailbreak. But that's not Dylan's fault. He just inspired me to live more wild. Wow. <laughs> that's, that is, uh, most people really can't ever do that, even if they get the uh, uh, the guts to actually to hop a freight train. Like, that seems like something out of you know, Woody Guthrie kind of thing. Not, uh, not Yeah, not, I mean, the 21st yeah, century. I, I just had the, I had the spirit, I guess. It just kind of bit me. And uh, I don't know. It just kind of took over. <laughs> I was a bit of a curmudgeon anyhow as a child. But um, Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to, like, the world felt... How did you take in Bob? Were you buying albums? Were you just getting things off of, like, uh, iTunes or things like that? I mean, how did you how did you choose to encounter the music uh, outside of the documentary? Outside of the documentary? I We only had, like, one store in town. It was a tiny little town. So I bought No Direction Home soundtrack that was actually in the store. Okay. And then the first... I remember it was really hard for me to find music. So I was it was the early days of the internet. You know, I didn't have too much access, but... I just started everything I could get. I remember Modern Times was the first record that came out um, that was new. And I just remember like listening to that nonstop and just consuming everything I could and, you know, building a collection, really. Do you feel like when you were, I mean, I guess this is a dumb question because it's, how could it not? But like, do you feel like that your personal music started to change? Your work started to change after you started taking in so much of, of Bob? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to mock, like parody it, you know? Yeah. But whenever you, whenever you like discover something that's so vast and really contains multitudes, right? Like (laughs) you, it it feels like the world's limitless. It really does. Like it was like a whole, it's like opening a door and like a whole new world's there. And she's like, wow, we can, there's so much we can still do, you know, with creation. And yeah, that's the way I felt whenever I started really exploring Dylan, because I'd never heard anything like that, which is mm-hmm. silly because he permeates culture. 
in a lot right. of ways. But he just he distills it down in a way that's just you know you know it's perfect pop art. And Dylan I think is a pop artist all in all. He might not like to be called that, but you know it is pop art. Did you find yourself when you were writing a song? Because again, the, the the how people write songs is a complete mystery to me. I just feel like it's it's just magic. I don't know how anyone does it at all. Like, did you ever find yourself when you're sitting there writing, sort of? That's conjuring a lineup or something or, or not again you're not parodying it but something where you can you and your mind can draw a direct inspiration from what you heard on something bob did to what you're writing or performing absolutely i mean you look at the way he'll um he'll take an issue right you got your masters of war or whatever right but look at how he approaches it in like tombstone blues in this kind of fun way it's the same thing about like military industrialism the mm-hmm. last line of a uh, you know, so it's just, it's looking at different ways to approach the subject. And that's what Dylan's really amazing at, is he finds interesting ways to approach the matter that makes it digestible and relatable, and plus endlessly listenable, you know. And um, I think that definitely played a role in my understanding, really my understanding of the world and how you consume knowledge and learn and grow and try to just continue to, you know, it's like, like he said, you're always on an odyssey. You, you never really arrive. Well, have you ever uh, had a chance to see him live? Absolutely. Um, I've seen him a few times. I've got a little story. Do you, do you mind if I tell you a little story? This is the place for it. Go right ahead. All right. Well, I, uh, I saw him, the first time I saw him was in 2009. He didn't really come through Arizona a lot in the mid 2000s. And uh, I saw him at Phoenix at the State Fair. And I was so excited. I got there early and I was, I did everything at the State Fair. And me and my girlfriend at the time were like looking for like a quiet place to just like get away from the crowd and stuff. So we uh, we snuck around to the backside of the Coliseum there, and there was no one there. We were just hanging out there for a while, and then this bus just pulls up. Oh no! And the door, the door yes, and the door opens, and I was. It happened so quick, and uh, he just jumps off the bus. Oh my and he's god! Wearing the wig. <laughs> I'm like I'm like perched up a little bit higher. I'm like a floor above him, but he's right there, and it's just like I immediately think, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. Like I know Dylan and his privacy. And he jumps off the bus. He's got the must-be Santa wig on. He's got the beanie. He's got, like, a vest. And he just hops off like a 20-year-old and uh, goes into the place. And then security yells at us. And it's like, oh, no. Like, we're I don't want to, like, get kicked out of the concert. So we run around the corner. And they had cordoned the whole thing off for his crew <laughs> where we were at. And uh, the merch people were right there. And they, like, wanted us to help them push stuff in. So we ended up, like, as we're trying to get away from this thing, we ended up in the building, like, helping the merch people push the stuff in. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then all of a sudden you hear in the background this circus organ start to play. And it's just like, I got to get out of here. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. But I couldn't help but, like, just taking a little peek behind the curtain. And, uh, yeah, he was still in his disguise, and he was playing floater with the band. It was wow, it was magical moment. Oh, my. Yeah. I, that's a, Wow. That's amazing that you wouldn't have that opportunity to really see him rehearsing yeah. like that. Yeah, it was amazing. And it, the whole time, it was just, it was super anxiety and just, he's like, I got to get out of here. They're looking for me. You know, they think I'm yeah. some kind of weirdo. And then, you know, everything I did kind of validated that. But, um, yeah. you know. <laughs> what did you think of the show that but, you originally yeah, it, saw? It was great. Um, in hindsight, it wasn't the best one, but I was, I was astonished. Uh, I think the best one was 19, this last go around when I saw mm-hmm. him. It was, wow. Like, I don't think I've ever heard him sound that good. But, uh, yeah, every time I've seen him, it's been an amazing experience. He's been in a good mood. I mean, I've heard some bad shows when he's not feeling it, but I've never witnessed one. So I'm lucky. That's Oh, that's phenomenal. Wow. that What an experience. I don't know what I would do if I had that experience. I've never been anywhere close to that, to actually seeing yeah, him out of any other context than being on stage. I froze, you know. I Yeah, once he did it, I just kind of, like, locked up once he came out of the bus. And, you know, it's like I didn't know whether to duck or run. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I ran. <laughs> I did, right into the, right into the building. <laughs> that's, wow, that's super cool. <laughs> that's super. That, I mean, was, that, was, that, that was a good way to, to like, you know, see your, see your idol as a child. <laughs> that's funny that he still feels the need to wear that wig with the cap. Like, he's still, like, he's not recognized. Like, anybody that's there wouldn't recognize him anyway. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, the only, it was just the face, everything, like, he was dressed like a 20-year-old. It was strange. It was just, like, it worked, you know? I, I didn't know what to do. It was just like, is that him? You know, I was I was just kind of awestruck. But, um, yeah, then I heard him, I saw him playing the organ inside. It's like, that's him for sure. I was, yeah. <laughs> this guy, I imagine there's a guy who's in char- on the tour who's in charge of, like, the wig, I guess. Like, right? There's, like, the wig. I, 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 yeah, I don't know. 
hopefully it wasn't a security guard because he might have lost his job because of me. Wow. But um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was great. It was it was fantastic, and it was kind of strange. They had the uh, like once because we were like up against the wall, we couldn't see over there. We just saw the bus pull up, and we took a peek. But they had it all set up where they had like two buses running parallel, and then his bus just pulled in. So like you know, he just right to the door. So he had them all set up and stuff. I I felt really bad about it, honestly. I'm I'm sure. I mean, good lord, after however many concerts, he's got it down to a pretty tight system at this point i mean obviously in this instance not as tight as it maybe could have been but for the most part the, you know the bus drivers they know what to do they know where to park them i mean he must pull up come in rehearse do the show right back on the bus back to the hotel or whatever i mean there must just be yeah i mean road he, at this point. yeah i read i read a book once where they were saying that uh he's right off the stage and back on the highway as soon as the last notes play you know he does his little pose with the band and splits and in tucson i saw him last time in tucson and his buses there was no place for them to park and they had to park like right in the parking lot and it was it was kind of a people were trying to like crowd him and stuff sure, it was kind sure, of a set sure. and it's just like come on let him let him go <laughs> oh man that <laughs> he is he gave you what he gave you what you wanted come on <laughs> yeah yeah oh my god that's that's just remarkable so, all right well very cool um so yeah we're here to talk about my own version of you this is the second song that we've covered from the 2020s rough and rowdy ways you know we're going to talk about the album in general of course as we go on but i mean just your initial thoughts on it uh on jude like what was your thoughts of rough and rowdy ways after you got it and you listened to it a couple of times i i truly i've i've been kind of debating this in my head i think it might be my favorite thing he's made all like, you know, it's definitely like you could tell it's the guy that wrote Highway 61 50 years on, like continuing to grow and like hone his craft. And this whole record, it just feels like so fresh and uh, un- uninhibited. And like he he's willing to take the songs any way they need to go to uh, fully bring them out. And it, I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same way, but that's uh, it just feels very pure and very, um very cohesive. The whole record flows into itself and has a lot of undercurrents and undertoes in it that kind of culminate there at the end. <laughs> Once you get to Key West and Murder Most Foul, it's, uh, yeah. I think it's, it's a masterpiece. I really do think that. Yeah. As, as I've now, we've lived with it all for what, seven months now, eight months. It's, it's been around. It's, it's yeah. gaining in my sort of estimation. Not that I didn't like it immediately when I heard it, but the more that I go back and listen to it, it's like, wow, this is a bunch of really strong songs and it's a very different record than the last original record that he put out. And, uh, there's just some different things going on here and there's, and it's ambitious as hell. Not that his other records have not been, but this one is particularly ambitious. And that's a, that's a remarkable thing again well, for a 79 year old to be swinging this much for the fences and true dedication. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that Dylan can sometimes stray from a little bit. He'll have like an idea like infidels and he'll kind of second guess himself a little bit too much and um yeah like there's there's a lot of ambition in this record and it shows and this song in particular like this song could be a novelty song if it didn't have such brilliance behind it you know it could just be you know like a halloween song mm-hmm, but um mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's a true masterpiece it really is and it takes you into a side of dylan that he hasn't really shown before and that kind of permeates through the whole record as well um there's a there's a sense of openness, not not personal openness, but openness about the craft that he's really trying to share, I think, on this record or inadvertently sharing to hmm. create his art. Okay, that's and, interesting. Um, I, I want to get yeah. back to that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I haven't thought about that. I, I'm glad you said the thing about... Uh, yeah, well, this song, this song is like the penultimate version of that, so... Okay. Yeah, all right. We're going we're gonna to touch on that. But you, I, I, I don't want to get past this because you said something earlier that I think is interesting about that he doesn't seem like he's second-guessing himself. And, I mean, we don't exactly know that necessarily. You can get a sense from it. But we haven't heard any – there have been no bootleg series uh, based on any of these most recent records. Uh, you know, and, yeah, you know what I mean? And so, like, Modern Times – I mean, yeah, I mean, there was some stuff on Telltale Signs. But for like modern, you know, modern times and together through life and Tempest and now this, we haven't heard much in the way of alternate songs or missing songs or things like that. And I, you know, I'm not following this stuff online uh, super diligently, but I haven't even heard about anything either. I haven't been hearing about, oh, there's this legendary song that he did for Tempest that didn't make it on the record. 
And I, we have to, you know, no, we don't exactly no. know, but I wonder, are there lost songs? I mean, with that, or is he getting it down to kind of cutting to the bone now where he knows exactly what he wants to do and how he wants to do it? So yeah, there's always going to be alternate versions of songs. And I'm sure we will end up hearing alternate takes of Murder Most Foul or, or this song or whatever. But maybe he, the era of him doing an infidels where he's completely revamping something because he sort of lost the, the, he, his hand left the tiller on the particular record. I wonder if that's over. I wonder if these records don't have a lot of bootleg material to perm from. Yeah, I, I kind of think about that myself because it does seem like he, he's been getting to the point. You know, it's not, there's not a lot of wasted space on his records. I mean, Together Through Life is more like kind of a fun little thing, you know, but like Tempest and stuff, like he's put in a lot of, you know, he's trying to build a big structure, you know, especially like the, the way Tempest is framed as a record, the way it flows into itself, where he's, mm-hmm. he, it's reads almost like a, like a novel of some sort or a Shakespeare play, you know? And um yeah, it just feels like he's not, he's not mincing his stuff. He's got an idea of what he wants to do. Of course, we don't know this for sure. He could have a million bootlegs for mm-hmm. rough and rowdy ways and formed it together but it does it does feel a very it feels very cohesive in the way that what i was referring to to infidels where he had an idea of the two different sides being split between like dealing with the modern world or however it was framed and he kind of got away from that and he dropped mm-hmm. a lot of songs to make it yep. a more cohesive you know just a, a better product a better uh robot commando and um I, I i don't see that as much anymore i see him much more focused. And of course he's got a lot of time in between records too, to work on them. But I do feel that that's something he doesn't, he doesn't get a lot of credit for. I mean, I think people understand it, but the way he sets up his records, especially modern records, um, the flow of them. And, you know, there's, there's little, you know, I don't want to say subplots, but there's undercurrents within the records, especially something like love and theft in this record where, you know, there are like under themes of like love and theft is, you know, minstrel shows and a lot of other things, Americans' history in the South. And this is, you know, it uses like American myth and stuff from the beginning with the uh, quote from Lincoln's bodyguard, I can say in multitudes, <laughs> through McKinley, through Kennedy, through all of that stuff. And that's something that Dylan doesn't really get a lot of credit for, for like making a full record. It's got great songs on it that stand on their own, but the record as a whole is a, is a true masterpiece and a, a real amazing creation some records you you get the feeling that everything is in its place uh the way it needs to be and some records don't and you can't quite put your finger on it but some of them like don't quite hang together the way they feel like they should and then other ones really do some of them that's why i always say modern times is still my favorite because it just to me modern times feels like a steel building like it's just absolutely you can't knock it over it's so perfectly structured uh, in every way so okay so let's talk about my own version of you uh, i quoted the initial lines and then the song of course continues to go on to be the winner of my discontent i wish you'd taken me with with you wherever you went they talk all night they talk all day not for a second do i believe what they say i want to bring someone to life someone i've never seen you know what i mean you know exactly what i mean and so okay when i first listened <laughs> to this song i mean obviously i was very very much taken by the the tune it doesn't sound like any other bob dylan song i can think of uh with that sort of subterranean kind mm-hmm. of feel to it and you know the initial uh yeah. verses of it i was like okay this is sort of a frankenstein thing that he's talking about he's you know searching the morgue and monasteries and then when he gets to the next verse is where to me he just explodes it and we're off in a million different directions and i can remember Trying to yes. listen to the song for the first time. And, and when we got to this next verse, I was like, wait a minute, what are we talking about? And he says, I'll take the Scarface Pacino and the Godfather Brando, mix them up in a tank and get a robot commando. If I do it upright and put the head on straight, <laughs> I'll be saved by the creature that I create. I get blood from a cactus, make gunpowder from ice. I don't gamble with cards and I don't shoot no dice. Can you look into my face with your sightless eye? Can you cross your heart and hope to die? I'll bring someone to life, someone for real, someone who feels exactly the way that I feel. So, okay. I mean, Jude, like what, what did, when you first heard this song, what did, how did, what was your takeaway? What did you feel like you were hearing? I just remember the first time I heard it, I just remember grinning nonstop. And I kind of feel still the same way whenever I hear it. It's just, I don't think a Dylan song has made me smile so much. It's just so fantastic. It's just so, it just, you know, got that ego up to a hundred and uh you know it's got that vibe to it you know it's just like a jay-z vibe where it's just like bring it on you know 
I'm going to take this on. And um, it's just so playful. But the whole thing, you know, the alchemy of it, you know, him discussing the alchemy of songwriting of, you know, I'm going to put these two things together and get this, you know, other product out of it. You know, I'm going to make something. I'm going to create something. I'm going to throw everything I have into this. I mean, it's just astonishing. I don't know. I still really kind of like shocks me every time I hear it. It's just like so fabulous. And I know I'm just going on and on about it. But oh, yeah, totally I mean, it plays here. into Bob's art itself is. Yeah, Bob's art itself, I think, is a form of necromancy in a little way, you know, <laughs> like he's. He's taking these old these old things that mean something to him and infusing them with life and putting them into something new. And uh, yeah, it's just the perfect metaphor using the Frankenstein myth to structure the song around and in play with the twists and turns of it. I was listening to Laura's show and uh, we were we were planning this in the middle of that. And I was just kind of like took the air to my sails a little bit because she's she just absolutely nailed everything I was wanting to say about it. It's like. Yeah, she's 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 right. So I might I might refer back to that through the through the interview a little bit. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting take on Bob's creative process and you know infusing the things that matter to him with life and putting it into another creation and trying to uh, make something that isn't bad, you know, that uh, that creates positivity for the world. But you know, we can get into that as we get to the lines about Freud and Marx and right. the benefit of all. Of them. Yeah, I mean, when I uh, when I first heard it, uh, I I took I mean, I had read some reviews of the album before I'd heard it and I tried to avoid that as much as I could, but I I couldn't resist Mm -hmm. in some cases. And again, I initially heard the song as what seems the obvious take on it is that it's a initially uh, I thought of it as a romantic thing. It's some or a very dark romantic thing of this is what somebody is doing when they are. Um, trying to um, infuse a romantic partner with all the qualities that they want the partner to have, and they're not seeing the person for who they are. So they, and mm-hmm. at some point this relationship has ended and this, again, the protagonist, this guy uh, is going out and he's going to, bur- he's going to build his own version of you. I'm going to go out and build my own version of you, or I'm going to take all the pieces that I want and sort of, you can't help but Frankenstein them together and create this person that, which of course mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way. And I know that there are, I mean, I read Frankenstein, the original Mary Shelley's Frankenstein many, many years ago, but I know that I like that in the way in the song, it keeps leaning into Frankenstein. And then by the second half of any given verse, it then spins off in its own crazy direction. Uh, in the next verse, he talks about I sunny Sanskrit and Arabic to improve my mind, which is something the Frankenstein monster did. Uh, I want to do things for the benefit of all mankind. I say to the willow tree, don't weep for me. I'm saying to hell with all the things that used to be. I get into trouble and I hit the wall. No place to turn, no place at all. I pick a number between one and two. And I ask myself, what would Julius Caesar do? But then as the song rolls on, I started to feel like this is, at least for me, again, I would never like to say this is what the song is about because there is there is no definition of what the song is about. But I started to, to me, the, the meaning of this, I hear the idea of, of that it's a song about creation. It's a song about creating music, creating a song. But I also heard a lot of, I heard some, a lot of political stuff in here. Uh, and the idea of someone who is uh, in charge um, reshaping America into what they want it to be. And I don't want to get, yeah. you know, I, yeah, I don't want to get too, go too far down this road, but I have to think that uh, Bob Dylan has a few thoughts about what went on in this country in the last four years, probably has some views about yeah. This is what not not necessarily saying this is what this is the this is the the point of view of the president the, the then president but the idea that I'm going to remake the country under uh using you know all my powers to reshape the country into this horrible monster kind of thing and I'm going to slap it together through all these different pieces cuz as the again, as the story gets further and further out, I mean, you're mentioning Julius Caesar for Pete's sakes and Liberace, and again, we'll get to uh, Al Pacino and Marlon Brando. I, that's that's sort of how I started to take it was that it's it's about and it could be about any leader of any country really, but I mean, he's living in America in 2020 like the rest of us were. That this is about somebody who is trying to reshape their creation, or it's about the voters who are trying to reform the country in front of their very eyes as they're going along. So that's sort of how I took it as it, as it, I, I don't know. I don't know whether that's completely off the beam or not, but that's sort of my read on it. 
Yeah, no, I think that absolutely plays a part. And that's, that's, I think another undercurrent through the whole, through the whole record is, you know, America's place in this moment. And I mean, Western civilization in general, I mean, Mm -hmm. it kind of refers back to Caesar a few times through the whole record and, you know, obviously culminating in Kennedy. It's, uh, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right on that point too. And I think, you know, Dylan takes so many different angles and puts so many different things into it that it can, you know, it's a monster. It can go in any direction, really. Right. It's this thing that you're creating and then it's going to go you think it's going to be able to control it. Uh I I mean, I again, I don't want to keep going too far down this road for various reasons, but I remembered reading a little while ago, um uh, again, the idea of the the monster, the out of control monster, but like you know, right after the election happened, and again, this is all after Bob Dylan wrote this song, but right after the election happened and there was this whole idea that um, the election had been stolen and mm-hmm. then your votes don't count. It's all a fraud. It's all a, you know, it's, it's all rigged. And I saw someone online say something about the problem with that, espousing that theory is you can't control it. Uh, Absolutely. You, yeah. you, can't, you can't direct that kind of lie at only your opponents, uh, it's going to burn you too. And of course it did. Uh, we know now that a lot of people down in Georgia didn't vote for the Republicans because they thought the whole thing was rigged. And that ended up handing uh, the, the two Senate seats back over to the Democrats and then in the House and the Senate over to the, because there were people that were like, ah, it's all rigged anyway, so what's the point? That's something that's, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go too much on a tangent, but yeah, that's been going on since Gingrich. They've been radicalizing and putting, you know, just make, pushing it further and further. And yeah, you can't control it. And Trump came in and Trump, Trump is a little bit of a snake, a snake, a charmer. And he built it up and kind of just let these people go wild. And my personal opinion, it, it was for his benefit. I think, I think it wasn't terribly out of control. I think there was some control involved with, you know, but it absolutely created a fire that spread everywhere. And that is that is the fear of creation that, you know, Dylan talks about that, too. Um, in 65, what is it? The the poem, the Geraldine's birthday poem where. Yeah, missal- to, yeah G- Geraldine yeah. on her miscellaneous birthday. Yeah. Yeah. And he hits on that where it's talking about, you know, you don't really know what creation's going to do. Don't create something, you know, right in front. Of, you know, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but uh, yeah, it's it's the same thing. Creation can get out of your hands once you. Once you're done with it. Yeah, and, uh, right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Dylan spent his whole life living in the shadow of that. You know, like I'm not a voice generator, you know, just pushing, pushing away everything that people tried to throw on him because he created a avatar of himself to put out to for his creations. And um, yeah, so he knows better than anyone, you know, the the monster you can create. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the song goes on. He says, I'm going to make you play the piano like Leon Russell, like Liberace, like St. John the Apostle. What a rhyme scheme that is. Play every number that I can play. I'll see you, baby, on Judgment Day. After midnight, if you still want to meet, I'll be at the Black Horse Tavern on Armageddon Street. Two floors down, not that far to walk. I'll hear your footsteps. You won't have to knock. I'll bring someone to life, balance the scales. I'm not going to get involved in any insignificant details. Uh, by the way, Black Horse Tavern on Armageddon Fantastic. Street, another amazing location in a Bob Dylan song. He's I would love to I would love to see a map of all the places he's ever created. Uh you know, yeah. the Thunderbird Cafe from Up to Me, <laughs> the Black Horse Tavern, uh, the Lion's Den from Tweeter and the Monkey Man. I mean, there's there's just a million great seedy locations in Bob Dylan songs. I thought the Black Horse Tavern on Armageddon Street is just a magnificent evocative uh phrase here as it goes on somebody needs to map that out like a like a simpsons poster you know like exactly the poster of springsfield you know it, yeah it's it's amazing yeah but yeah this whole this whole record kind of feels like a 70s record from dylan it's it's really you know it's balls the wall he he throws it all out there and he he takes it in every interesting direction he can and it reminds me of street legal in some senses it reminds me of desire it just yeah, it's just it's fantastic. So, how in your mind, like when, when you're talking, when he's talking about, uh, you know, play it like Leon Russell, like play Liberace, like Saint John the Apostle. I mean, how are you squaring that in your mind, or maybe you can't th- that this song is about creating music or creating something, and he's throwing in all these references and he's throwing in these seemingly disparate things. How in your mind does that all fit together to you? I mean, I, he probably has an idea as he's putting it together, but everyone's going to have their own idea. I see it as I'm seeing it as a form of creation and 
you know, his own version of creation. Uh, Leon Russell is like a very fantastic artist. Liberace's like a showman and uh, St. John's got the spirit, you know, he's trying to, <laughs> and that's a, that's a thing with this whole record is he's, you got to put the spirituality in it. Right. And that's Laura did a good job of comparing my own version of you to Muse song. Cause they are kind of dealing with the same thing in a cert, certain abstract sense in this, in this sense, as she said, he's doing it for selfish creation reasons. And the other one, it's a prayer to uh, continue on, to continue this creation to a, uh, and I think spirituality is a very important thing through this record to infuse this with uh, the spirit. Hmm. You got the right spirit. Yeah, right. <laughs> he says, you can bring it to St. Pierre. You can bring it to Jerome. You can move it on over, bring it all the way home. Bring it, to hey, the, Bob. <laughs> bring it all the way home. Bring it to the corner where the children play. You can bring it to me on a silver tray. I'll bring someone to life. Spare no expense. Do it with decency and common sense. Can you tell That's me what it means? Part. Oh, can you tell me what it means to be or not to be? You won't get away with fooling me. Can you help me walk the moonlight mile? Can you give me the blessings of your smile? I want to bring someone to life. Use all my powers. Do it in the dark in the wee small hours. I mean, good. Again, moonlight mile. Okay, so we've got the Rolling Stones in here again. We've got to be or not to be in here. We've got we've got St. Peter. I mean, it's again, It's all we've talked about this on other episodes. I mean, the ones I did with... Uh, with with uh, Tara about talking about uh, false prophet and murder must fall. It all it's all just one giant tapestry for Bob to pull from, uh, which is amazing. Again, you you mentioned earlier about being very expansive and having it all in front of you to sort of perm from, and that that's that's got to be. In, I could I guess someone with less confidence, I would find it to be a little disconcerting for your field to be that open. But at the same time, you really know what you're doing. It has to be very freeing to know you can pull any reference from anywhere in all of human history and put it in this song and you can smash it together. You can have Liberace and St. John the Apostle breathing the same breath in these lyrics. Yeah, well, I mean, that that is, in a sense, creating a Frankenstein monster. You bring in all these mm-hmm. dead parts and throwing them together. And, you know, like, bring it to Jerome. That's a that's a B.B. King song. And I think it's B.B. King. Like, there's, it's, he's taken everything. And that's kind of what he, I don't know if it was a Rolling Stone interview where they were kind of getting on him about the, plagiarism or plagiarism claims and stuff. And he basically said, you know, you think this is easy. I mean, what he's Mm. doing is he's taking specific things for specific reasons and putting them into the song for, you know, it, they all carry the song along and make it stronger by using these references. You know, you, you, you can write words to them, but you know, it's Dadaism in a way it's uh, right. Right. It brings it to a higher form of art as far as I'm concerned. He opens the uh, the final verse. It's very interesting, the song structure here, uh, the lyrics, where it's all uh, these four-line or five or six kind of line verses, and then you've got the cor- essentially the chorus, the I want to bring someone to life. By the way, no, I didn't really dawn on me. I looked at the lyrics. He only ever says my own version of you one time, which is that oh. opening refrain. The right? He never says it again in the rest of the song. Um, it's a Mandela effect. I thought he said it. I've listened to this song 500 times. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he only ever says it in that opening in the, oh. in the second verse. Uh, but then it's that, that final verse that has like about 20 lines to it. And he says, I can see the history of the whole human race. It's all right there. It's carved into your face, which to me is Bob Dylan talking about his creation. But to me, that's you're talking about Bob Dylan. I mean, I feel you can see all of America uh, carved into Bob Dylan's face because uh, we know what that face looks like now yeah. from the 60s to now. We know what it, we, we've seen it. Should I break it all down? Should I fall on my knees? Is there light at the end of the tunnel? Can you tell me, please? Stand over there by the cypress tree where the Trojan and women, Trojan women and children were sold into slavery long ago before the first crusade, way back before England and America were made. Step right into the burning hell where some of the best-known enemies of mankind dwell, Mr. Freud with his dreams and Mr. Marx with his axe. See the rawhide lash rip the skin off their backs. You got the right spirit. You can feel it. You can hear it. You got what they call the immortal spirit. You can feel it all night. You can feel it in the morn. Creeps into the body the day you were born. One strike of lightning is all that I need and a blast of electricity that runs at top speed. Show me your ribs. I'll stick in the knife. I'm going to jumpstart my creation to life. And then he finally wraps it up with, I want to bring someone to life, turn back the years, do it with laughter, and do it with tears. I'm Something I really wanted to make sure we, we talked about when discussing the song is to me, this is one of his best vocal performances ever on yes. any song. 
Yes. Uh, the, and it really comes to fore in this this final set of lines. The whole – and I find it's a very fun song to sing, mm-hmm. uh, strangely enough, considering how dark it is. But, man, when he gets to the part about uh, you, can, you can feel it on the night, you can feel it in the morning, it creeps into their body the day we're born – one strike of lightning is all that I need. And a blast of electricity that runs at top speed. That it's just the way the words fall. I find it amazingly sort of catchy. The way oh, it's uh, this yeah, rushing through yeah. this imagery, man, it is so captivating to listen to. And he is so perfect, pitch perfect with the vocal delivery. Yeah, I mean that 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 delivery. If you got the right spirit, you can feel it. You can hear it. It's just you know, it might be some of the best phrasing I think in music history. But like this whole this whole verse is just packed full of so much. I mean, it's like the last verse of Mr. Tambourine Man, where he kind of mm. just drops drops it all on you. And um, yeah, I mean, I I I understand thoroughly what he's trying to say with uh, you know, he's he's looking at his creation, and this is what you kind of feel like whenever you create something. You're putting all of yourself into it, but you're also putting everything that you are surrounded by. You know, the you know the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. And you're throwing it on, and then my favorite part of the song is where he's he's discussing it with the creature, and he starts you know asking it questions, even though he's <laughs> the one that created it, and that's a very human thing I think to uh you know, we want to know answers and we're looking for them and even in our own creations we're trying to find our own answers to the questions of the world that's that's the way I see it personally that first part, but um yeah I mean it goes into so much you know how dark mankind has been through its whole history this is. Before the treachery of America or England, it's darkness has permeated through all of our past. And, um, yeah, I, the, the Marx and Freud lines, I think are fantastic too. Um, where they're the ones who created something that has been used in negative ways. Yeah. Um, it's been weaponized. Yeah. And they're, they're being punished for their creations. It's not, it's not, I don't see it as a take on Marx or Freud themselves. You mm-hmm. know, they just had the thought and the thought turned into a monster beyond them and <laughs> they get blamed for it. So, I mean, it's, I, I just, I don't know what to say about this. It's a, it's a cavalcade of genius. <laughs> the line about show me your ribs, I'll stick in the knife. Uh, I found that a little curious because it feels like, wait a minute, I'm not exactly sure what's going on at this moment. Uh, I mean, who is he talking to? Who is he sticking in the knife to? And then I, I, I took it as it could be that it's flipped and that he is taking on the persona of, the audience at this point where he is assuming their role, where it's the idea of show me your ribs. Like it probably for a lot of artists, the worst thing they could do is sort of show their vulnerability because, or in, in maybe not vulnerability, but if they show the audience something that the audience doesn't want, the audience is going to stick in the knife. The audience Absolutely. is going to betray you really fast. And so he's doing this, he's got this creation and he's putting it out there. He's hoping the world will like it. But if, the creation shows some sort of vulnerability or shows some sort of weakness in the eyes of the audience. The audience is going to be merciless and stick in the knife. I, I mean, he's, he's dealt with that before for sure. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, this is, this is another thing that Laura had said on her podcast and I had kind of milled over myself is that it could be that he needs the audience, right? He's going to, he needs, he needs their power. He needs, his creation needs the audience to be brought to life where he's right. talking directly to the audience. Let me stick in the knife and he's going to jumpstart it from you the listener mm. you know and i feel like that that could be another interpretation of it as well um you know either way it involves the audience you need the audience for the creation of your art because art without an audience what is it you know right if it, yeah is it a song if nobody ever hears it yeah, yeah. <laughs> does it really exist yeah. i mean i've thought about that too i mean bob dylan seems so self-possessed and so confident and so just i mean just in full command of whatever it is that he wants to do but i also realize it's like well he clearly still has this need for an audience and uh, you know, you can shave it down to each individual person. He doesn't need any one person, but he does need an audience. And I think about that. Like, well, it's like, I mean, the man is 79. Now he's going to be, you know, 80 years old and he's still putting himself out there on that stage for people to applaud and listen and follow along what he's doing. And it's like, well, that's in a lot of ways, he's really exposing himself to a need that he's got. He's showing his vulnerability by being out there and saying, yeah, I need you to show up and mm-hmm. be here when I come, because otherwise he would just disappear. He'd be one of those yeah. musicians who just disappears and you never hear from him again, basically. But no, he still has this need to put, he still has this desire and need to put something out for people to 
receive and hopefully uh, judge in the nicest sense of the word, but receive it and hear it. And he, so he needs us as much as we need him, but that it doesn't feel like that because we're, uh, you know, the audience is sort of always in the supplicant position in terms of uh, Bob Dylan, especially people worship the man so mightily, such a huge figure, but yet he does need us. He yeah, would, yeah. He would, I'm sure he would be personally devastated if Rough and Rowdy Ways had come out and it had gotten a bunch of zero star reviews and nobody bought it. He probably yeah, would have I mean, been pretty upset about that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the story with Shot of Love where he he, he felt very right, proud right. of his creation and it came out and yeah, it just kind of didn't get the recognition he felt it deserved. And, you know, I understand what he's saying about that. But yeah, it's tough. You know, it's very tough. You you definitely do need you do need a recipient to, you know, any form of creation. <laughs> it can be a bit of a pain in the butt sometimes. But yeah, I mean, yeah, he we we need him as much as he needs us, I guess. You're right. Absolutely. Right. Um, I, the, uh, the line about, I already quoted it, but I can't help it. The, you got the right spirit. You can feel it. You can hear it. You got what they call the immortal spirit. What, as a songwriter, what is your feeling about rhyming a line with uh, the same word twice? That uh, this feels like a, I, the first couple of times I listened to the song, I never even noticed that mm-hmm. he says spirit, the same word twice in two lines. Uh, it feels a little like, uh, for lack of a better term, cheating, but not necessarily. I, I, what is your feeling about that? It's it's a it's an unusual choice, that's for certain. Yeah, I'm sure it's probably it's probably purposeful. He he's, oh, he's yeah. I mean, there's there's probably a reason, and he kind of does that there at the end too. He doesn't rhyme it, but he's got life in there twice there at the mm-hmm. very end. And um, you know, it's he's trying to pound that word home. I assume, you know, and yeah. I mean, I I'm all for it. If it if it works, you can do it. I mean, if you're doing it in a poor way, that's just lazy. But I don't see this as lazy in the slightest. I think it's just driving the point home. Right. It reminded me. I remember when I first got uh, Times Era Changing, uh, the record, and I first heard Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll, and he uses the word table. Yeah, it's like yeah. four lines in a row with table. And when I, I remember, I can literally remember the first time I heard that song, and when he said table the second time, I was like. That's odd. And then when he when he did it three more times, I went, "Oh, okay. This is he's clearly going this for a specific point here that he's priming the word home." So yeah, okay, got it. So and I think I think through this whole record, spirit is definitely a. I don't. I'm not making any claims that this is what it is, but this whole record does give me the vibe of you know the story of Isis and Osiris, the uh, Egyptian myth. I mm-hmm. don't know if you know that. I do. Where. Yeah, Set chops up Osiris and throws him about the desert. Isis goes and picks up all these pieces. And there at the end, you know, she has to make the final piece because she cannot find it because the, the fish ate it and create new life and a new world from that with the rebirth of Osiris. And that's kind of the vibe I get through this whole record, that it's him picking up all these pieces and infusing them back to life. And yeah. Now, you said earlier uh, that you felt as though this song and Mother of Muses were sort of the the, the pillars of this record or sort of the, the, the key songs uh, to, to the sort of themes of this record. And uh, in the interest of, uh, of uh, transparency, I have not listened to that episode of Definitely Dylan yet because I actually – I knew I was going to be doing this episode, and I tried not to – um, Laura has such wonderful insights. And while I enjoy listening to them, I try not to let too much of that bleed into how I think about it because I think it's naturally going to, uh, yeah, because uh, you know, Laura, Laura is so good at that, that, it, you know, she'll probably come up with something. I go, Oh yeah, that's way more interesting than what I came up with. So I purposely kind of put it off, but I thought it was interesting that the first song that I've covered on this show from rough and Roddy ways was mother of muses. And then you and I talked about, we scheduled to do this one. And then Laura came out and did an episode about two songs from Rough and Rowdy Ways, which were Mother Abuses and this song. <laughs> so there's something there's something in the air here about where everyone seems to be figuring that those two songs are the two that are the, the things you want to tackle first when you're getting a handle on this record. So in your mind, what what is it about this song and the Mother of Muses that you feel like are sort of the, the keys of Rough and Rowdy Ways. Well, I see it as him kind of like, like I, to reiterate what I was saying, he uh, is giving you like a little bit of a peek into the process and his guard is down in a way that it kind of hasn't been. And he's dealing with stuff, you know, the, the fourth wall is broken a lot in these, in the idea of these songs where, you know, the idea of a creation and then, you know, struggling to get through 
And, you know, Mother Muses is basically a prayer. Right. As the, you know, and it's just, you know, give me that inspiration. Give me the, uh, give me the strength. Give me the power to sing these songs to, uh, carry them further. Of course, that, that could not be the interpretation. It could be any interpretation you want it to be. But personally, I feel like those two are very important in that sense. And, uh, Laura hit on this, that they are kind of a mirror of each other in some way. Yeah. They're absolutely important to the whole structure of the record. I mean, we can get in the whole structure of the record. We might be here for five hours, but, um, I think it's, uh, I think it does have a, a very important structure to it. I think it does tell its own story in an abstract way, the structure of it. Well, t- all right, you um, talk about that. What do you, what do you mean by that? I think the whole record, every song is related to the next in some way, maybe not in a obvious way or in a purposeful way, but you, you know, we see this with Caesar coming back through the whole thing. I think I, I view it as a whole piece of art, you know, it's like a, like a season of a TV show, you know, every episode is great, but as a whole, it's got an arc to the whole thing. And, um, Dylan deals with a lot of different things through the whole record, I think. And, um, yeah, I think they all kind of come to a head at the end. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine, uh, that one murder most foul was put together, uh, that's, you know, when you're, when the song, when you got a 17 minute song, that, that's, that, that ends your record. There's no way you're yeah. going to put a 17-minute song in the middle of the record, you know, and then what, go to Jim, Goodbye Jimmy Reed or something? Like, no, you got yeah, right. to close it with, with Murder Most Fell. So, that, okay, that's interesting. So you feel yeah, that there is – Yeah, kind of gets to it too. I mean, Key yeah, West, even without Murder Most Foul, we still kind of get a culmination with Key West. Yes. Um, and that's why I think he kind of packaged it the way he did, where Murder Most Foul is on its own disc, even in mm-hmm. the CD version. Mm-hmm. You know, it is – it's like two volumes of, you know – the Iliad and the Odyssey, right? You know, it's, uh, <laughs> oh, any other artist I think out there would have been thrilled to end their record with something as good as Key West. Oh uh, my lord! You yeah. know, <laughs> I mean, that's like the, that's that's the end of your record, and then to say that you've got another seventeen-minute opus to follow that is sort of like this embarrassment of riches. Uh, yeah, and I, I I wonder if he felt pressure from the Nobel Prize to create something so massive um mm-hmm. and really grand in its structure you know and it he he borrows from whitman he borrows from like so many different you know big poets that wrote big things like you know you get into ginsburg and ginsburg's america and like you get into all how all these different like long epic structures um and i feel like dylan drew from those sources to kind of you know make a, a literary masterpiece i keep saying masterpiece but i really do it's, it's hard to stay away from that word isn't it i know it, you know it's funny as i'm looking back over the lyrics here and i'm I, I to me this song as i said to me doesn't sound like any other bob dylan song that he's ever done just the the the, the band playing on it is just marvelous i, I said earlier like oh there, you know we don't get the sense that there's a lot of alternate versions of songs that he's really kind of figuring out very early on what he wants but I feel like that's always that assumption always ends up being wrong. And now I feel like in five years, we're going to get a bootleg series of like these records and we'll hear there'll be some like bossa Nova version of my own version of you or some Waltz version. It'll be that completely be different than anything I could ever imagine. Yeah. Well, my, I think my, I think one of my favorite bootlegs is uh, the tello bill sessions Yeah, because it's, yeah. it's hyper focused on that and you get to kind of see where he takes, he, you know, he's just kind of riffing basically. And like you hear him telling the band, like do the Carter family, uh, lick and just kind of like throw it all, throw it all against the wall. And then eventually we're going to like get where we're going. And, um, yeah, I bet there's a lot of pretty interesting stuff, but again, with this, uh, this particular record, it does feel more focused in a lot of ways, um, than other records have. It feels like it feel it feels like all these are the best takes, but I could be wrong. You know, uh, obviously, uh, live wise, it has not been performed at all as none of the mm-hmm. rough and ready way songs have, as far as we know, uh, <laughs> you know, you never know with him. He'd be going down to Van Morrison's church in Santa Monica and playing them, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you never know. I mean, again, this is, um, I would be fascinated to hear what this sounds like as a live song. It's a fairly long song and lyrically it's very dense and involved. Uh, but of course, you know, Bob is, is able to do those songs uh, live as well. This would be very interesting to hear live. And he said, well, it'll be, Bob fans are going to be, you know, waiting with bated breath as to see what he pulls from this record when he does start resuming touring again. It's going to be, I mean, that is going to be uh, fascinating to see what choices he makes, knowing people are so dying to hear 
these songs played live? I mean, I don't know. I mean, can you, can you imagine yourself playing uh, a song like this live? I mean, I was thinking about, uh, I was already planning like a, a Halloween concert and I was just like, well, this is absolutely going to do it. Like I've been, we've been like, I, I could imagine this for sure. I, I can, I can imagine it being extremely fun and Bob just being a master of phrasing, just changing the way he delivers the vocals and just, you know, creating more, more magic with it, with his alchemy with this. But False Prophet is another one I desperately would love to, oh, love yeah. to hear live. That would just be a banger. Yeah, that's going to stomp big time. When yeah. that money well, Goodbye Jimmy Reed, even. I, I still don't have a handle on Goodbye Jimmy Reed. That's the one song that I'm still like, what the heck is going on here? But, <laughs> I, mean, I would love to listen to it live. Oh, that's going to that's gonna kill. That is going to, I mean, any of these songs are, but that one is really going to kill when he does that live. And in a weird way, that's the one I want to hear the most because it's just going to be the most fun. But, it'd be, but when I'm, again, when I'm looking over the, the lines of my own version of you, something else that dawns on me, we know that he loves continually futzing with the lyrics uh old songs mm-hmm. new songs he keeps rewriting them i mean you can see there were lyrics from modern times that he's still changing and there was a he rewrote pay and blood pay and, pay and blood. blood he was rewriting pay and blood for pete six and i i look at some of these things and i say i would bet that like when we get to uh the live versions and he sings leon russell like liberace say john the apostle he'll start swapping in names just to yeah. change it up, you know, just to throw it off. The, the, the rhyme will still be there, but he'll start changing names. And then something else I, I, I was thinking of too when I was watching, re- reading the lyrics. The line, I'll take the Scarface Pacino and the Godfather Brando. First of all, that's just a great, you know. <laughs> it's going to get an, it's going to get an applause line from the crowd. Oh, mix them up in a tank and get a robot commando. It's marvelous. <laughs> but I, I got to wonder, we, we know for a fact that Bob Dylan has met Marlon Brando. Uh, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know if they were ever "quote unquote" close or friends in any way, but they did meet. And you know, Bob's mentioned people that he has met in other songs, obviously Neil Young or Billy Joe Shaver, or, you know, whatever. But nevertheless, I always wonder when you're writing about someone, and in the context of the song, you're presenting them as an image. Obviously, the Godfather Brando is a very powerful image in the American or the world culture. Everyone knows mm-hmm. what that is. I have to wonder how that colors your view when you've met the guy, you know, you've, you've met the guy. He's a real person. He's thinking, yeah. I don't know if he's thinking about just in a, in a vague way, what he means to the culture or whatever. And, you know, or if he's thinking personally, I, yeah, I don't know. I always find that interesting. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's recorded with Leon Russell. We know that. Right. So. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> he's mentioning people. He's probably, we know he met Liberace too. There's yeah. that photo of him with Liberace and David yeah, Letterman. That's right. <laughs> so this is all these different people that he's probably met. He, we might even met Julius Caesar at some point in some weird way. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, I, we get into that with Murdermost Foul, too. I mean, he yep. goes off on Blitney, and he's probably met, you know, a fourth of those people at least. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I said it, it's fascinating. I would always, again, I've never written a song. I would no idea how to do it. But uh, have you ever written a song like that where you're mentioning people that you've met or at least people that you're somewhat familiar with? I mean, I've written things on personal things, like about friends and stuff, like situational things, but I don't think I've ever written anything about anyone big that I've ever met. I wouldn't know how to approach it. I don't, right. I, you know, but Dylan, Dylan's, uh, Dylan's in a different echelon than me. He's a, he's the Lord of song. So as a, as a musician, uh, I, again, I want to ask you, like, what do you think about the, how the band is playing on that? What do you think about how they are accompanying Bob uh, on this record in general? And then this song, because again, I, like I said, I think it's, this song just sounds so unique. Uh, the band is all, yeah, and that's that. That was the vibe I got when I saw them before this record came out in 2019. The I was just kind of like they were just on and they were reading each other in a way that um you know most people cannot read each other as they're playing and like they were doing this thing during Lovesick. I remember like trying to like figure out what they were doing. They were doing something really interesting and they were like dropping a beat in the middle of it. Like they would just go silent on it and it caused this like jarring thing. And I was watching it and it was happening kind of naturally. And I listened to other versions of it from that tour and they weren't doing it, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, wow, they're reading each other in the moment perfectly. And, you know, backing Bob to a T, you know, and uh, they're just so tight. They're probably one of the greatest bands, I think, to play that are that tight. Um, it takes a lot of skill, but the, the vibe of this music, that pulpy noir kind of thing, it's fantastic. <laughs> it, it perfectly encompasses the song. And um, yeah, I mean, what, what can you say about them? They're fantastic. 
Charlie Sexton is amazing. It's it's amazing to think that for years Bob seemed to want to have this hard line between the the, the musicians he would use on his records and his yeah. touring band, and that apparently caused a certain amount of uh, strife among the band that they were like, "Hey, why don't we get to be on the records?" And I'm glad that at some point he just decided, oh, "Come on, let's just let's just get the band on these records." I mean, they yeah. clearly know what they're doing, and now you know he's got this murderer's row of talented uh, talented guys playing with him and stuff it's just it's just remarkable um yeah well, i think love and theft was the first one wasn't it that um the band played i know time or uh time out of mind tony yeah Gunier. they're playing on time out of mind yeah yeah but L- love and theft is predominantly the backing band i think that's where i think love and theft is probably my second favorite record other than this one and for a lot of the same reasons it's just so tight the band is just together and on it and yeah they're just my lord my lord they're they're great I will say my one very, very minor criticism of Rough and Rowdy Ways is that the the booklet, the sleeve that the album slash CD comes in, features no pictures of the band. Every yeah. other record features some shot of him with the band. There's that Love and Theft shot where he's looking at, it was Augie Myers playing the yeah, playing keyboard. Yeah, playing the organ. And I love shots of bob with the band because they just look like a bunch of gangsters and it's fun Ooh, tempest, gonna, too, like tempest where he's smoking a cigar and yeah, he's got that giant yeah. cigar i love it it's like, <laughs> i when i when i i love the art design for rough and rowdy ways the photo stuff but i have to say when i opened it and i saw no photos of bob i was a little like oh all right i, yeah. I like to see a photo of them in the studio playing these songs or or the or the picture of him in the car on a triple hit with the girl yeah that's yes. another good one but no band but um yeah no i think uh yeah i i do kind of wish he and that's kind of a thing with a lot of his art direction on his releases there's not a lot of there, it, it's a lot of missed opportunities but um uh, i guess i guess uh jimmy rogers and the carter family is supposed to stand in as the band I don't yeah know. i'd say so they, they, that's got to be a topic for another episode someday of yeah. just talking about bob's i mean i did my video episode where i talked about my five favorite record uh, album covers of Bob's, but the, yeah, there needs to be a whole maybe series of episodes on Bob Dylan's sleeve art, because that's a whole other story we could, uh, we could examine. So uh, yeah, my own version of you, I mean, it's just an incredibly strong song. It's an incredibly strong album. Uh, and again, it, in terms of like where it's placed, uh, it's sort of perfectly, you know, girded in there where you've got this, the, the, the quietude of, uh, I could see multitudes and you've got the stomp of, false prophet and then all of a sudden you're down in this sort of subterranean basement with my own yeah well like, like i was saying like i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you a quick little thing real quick false prophet you know how it, it's got the quotes from the book of the dead i don't know if you've read that or heard about it yet. yes yeah but yeah so and it kind of's got that whole vibe of leading uh leading you on to the underworld and then it drops you immediately once you're through with that one it drops you into this like you said subterranean thing that's that's what i'm saying about the flow of the record it's it's brilliantly set up in that way right cuz he talks about in a false prophet uh, his guides through the underworld yeah and then uh, he he's creating a creation yeah i think i think there might be a lot of ties to egyptian myth i don't have any proof in that but i think there's a pretty healthy dose of it in this I think so. I think so. I said it's a, it's an amazing song, and we'll, we look forward to hearing if there are alternate versions or live versions. We know it's going to be coming out eventually. So, well, uh, Jude, I mean, thank you so much for for stopping by and talking about the song. This is a big this is a big bite. This song, as a lot of the songs from Rough and Ratty Ways, absolutely. Are. I'm sure we I'm sure we left out a million things, but uh, it just yes. goes on forever. Yeah, I mean, it's again. I've been I've been I wanted to give some time before we started talking about these songs because, of course, we don't have the additional context of them being performed live or you know, watching them age along with us. Cause these songs are all still so fresh, but we, we can only wait for so long. And so I really appreciate you coming by. So thank you for, for doing this. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm, I was very excited to do this. I'm very excited. I did it. <laughs> Excellent. So why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Um, well, I'm on Instagram, uh, Jude Valentine, one word, and I decided to use a Twitter. So I, uh, I made a Twitter. I'm, I'm very <laughs> not tech savvy, but, um, <laughs> I think it's, we knew that uh, from the phrase "I made a Twitter." I think we could. I made it. a Twitter. I do the tweets, and um, it's a uh, U H Jude Valentine, and uh, yeah, I'm on Bandcamp too. You can buy my record on Bandcamp and uh, other stuff. So all right. yeah, excellent. Okay, everybody, you heard him. Uh, of course, uh, for this show, you can find all the episodes on our website, FireWaterPodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. 
We're always talking Bob over on the Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And then finally, you can support the Fine Water Podcast Network by going to patreon.com slash FW Podcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Henry Bernstein, Max Hutzel, and Sebastian Krug for their support of Pod Dylan. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye-bye. All through the summers into January I've been visiting morgues and monasteries Looking for the necessary body parts Limbs and livers and brains and hearts I'll bring someone to life is what I want to do I want to create my own version of you